Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Well, good morning again. I was kind of looking at this thing. I couldn't wait to get up here and stand behind it. I, I kind of feel like I should talk with a Scottish accent and say, Scotty, turn the mic up. I feel like Captain Kirk just gave me the con. Um, for those of you that don't, don't know who I am, uh, my name is Jeremy Neely. Uh, give you a little bit of a history about myself, a little short testimony, if you will. I grew up in Cosby, Missouri. It's a small little town of about 121 people just east of St. Joseph, Missouri. I uh, had great, a great family, great upbringing. Uh, literally, I was raised an inch from the truth, and I missed it. I went off into high school, and, and I took the counsel of my peers above that of my parents and my church family. And uh, little by little, I started uh, the shift off course, and I became an alcoholic, a drug addict, and uh, ended up in several illicit relationships that, uh, that brought some horrible baggage into our marriage, my beautiful wife, Casey. And, um, you know... I hurt her before I ever knew she existed uh, deeply. And so we were married, struggling through, struggling through marriage, and, and it was just about over. It was just about over. And, and we both came to that place where we said, surely there has to be more than this. And we, uh, we Casey went right to the source I had to search a little bit because to me, I'm a, I'm a computer scientist. I have a bachelor of science in computer science. I, you know, I'm very, uh, as Don calls it, binary. I'm very binary. You, you, things are just black and white. They're one or zero. It's on or off. And um, it took me a while. There's a lot of hurt that I saw in the church growing up as the church played North American churchianity, and uh, and I was Jesus because of that was the last place that I looked for peace. But when I found Him, and it all made sense, and the ones and the zeros all lined up, my life was forever changed. And that was in the summer of two thousand. Now the thing, the thing about that is, is when in Rome you do as Romans do, and in America we don't really read the Word of God, we read other people's interpretation of the Word of God. So I feasted on all these books. I had stacks of books, you know, by Piper and Tozer and all these other guys, and I would feast on their thoughts on who Jesus is, coupled with societal thoughts that are coming at me through media, and maybe even some some skewed views that have leaked through the church through the last couple centuries. And, uh, and what that made was this mixed up, angry, still addicted young man that uh, now was self-righteous. And I was looking down my nose at everybody that walked around because I was, was well-informed. I was well-informed. And then the Lord moved in a way that I would have never never expected, which, um, you know, to talk about it on a day like today is, is, uh, is really cool. It's, it's a mentor. He brought a mentor into my life, a 60-some-year-old man that, uh, that took the time to pour Jesus into my life. Started out weekly, Wednesday morning, breakfast, I mean, even, even though at that time I was a network engineer, I still, you know, I still was enough of a musician at heart that, that I, hate, I hate mornings. You know, so my wife knew that it, it was of God that I got myself out of bed at 5.30 every morning and went and had breakfast with him on these days. Because usually I like to wake up at the crack of noon. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's just the way I am, you know. And, and I'll, stay up, I'll stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning. And I'll get, get my work done then. So Floyd, Floyd was his name. Floyd poured into my life for years and years and years. 
He invested in me. And, and what started out as Wednesday morning breakfast turned into Monday and Wednesday breakfast. Then it turned into Monday through Friday lunches as well as the breakfast. He, at great cost, financially and of his time, he invested in a, in, in a young man. And he, he showed me the path to a peace that I just, I wish that I could describe to you. But what I want to do to you is, or for you today, is I want to show you kind of a roadmap, if you will, uh, to discipleship so that you can plug it into your life, but you can also plug it into somebody else's life. And that, that roadmap of discipleship is called the book of Matthew. You see, Floyd, he graduated seminary from Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City, and uh, he's got his Master's of Divination, and he, uh, he said his words were, I walked out of that institution, and I knew what I was looking for was not there. I did not find it there. So he pastored small churches, worked in student ministry and colleges for, for the next couple decades, and finally... He got to a point to where he started to memorize Scripture. Floyd, to this day, he's in his 70s now. He'll call me and he'll, he'll say, Jeremy, I just memorized the book of Hebrews. Or, Jeremy, I just memorized 1 Peter. Or he'll call me, Jeremy, I just memorized 2 Peter. So at this point in, in life, when, when he was teaching me, he had memorized the book of Matthew long ago decades before he met me, he had memorized the book of Romans and the book of Hebrews at this point, and he was working on James. Memorized it. And because he committed it to memory, at any given time, he could tell you, you know, if you said something, he'd be like, oh yeah, that's in Matthew 11, and he could just do the whole chapter and just keep on going. Right there from memory. And that opened up something in him to where he could see that the book of Matthew was compiled and put together by Matthew in the early church in a way that it was constructed as a discipleship manual. People will come to you, you know, non-believers will come to you and they'll say, well, your scriptures aren't even in chronological order. And now you can tell them, well, duh, that's because they weren't put in chronological order. They were put in an order to disciple people. It didn't have to be in chronological order. So what I want to do is I want to start out today um, really quick. Matthew 1 through 3 is just a preamble. It's, uh, it's written for the Jews. It's just, that is, uh, who is this Jesus? It gives his lineage. It gives, his, it, it gives you who Jesus is at the core. And if, as a Jew, if you couldn't buy into that, then... Pass, go, collect your $200 and keep on living your little religious life. Matthew 4 is the start of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he shows us one very important thing as, as he goes out right off the bat. This is, this is the beauty. You know, you see, you see in Hebrews how they say God in, emptied himself, poured himself out and became flesh like us and tempted in every way as you and I are. This shows you how beautiful that is played out right here because right after Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit comes on him, he goes out into the desert. And everybody, they talk about this in, in funky ways, you know, and over-spiritualize it. But really what it boils down to is obedience unto death. This was the start of his ministry. And right from the start, he was obedient unto death. He was more willing to father his follow his father's commands and go out into that desert and starve to death or dehydrate and die than to disobey his father. And you even see that through the temptations. He's, he's more willing to follow the path to death than to disobey his father. And then we come to the important part for me that, that changed my life, Matthew 5, where he starts where he starts teaching. I knew that there was something more. I grew up in the church. 
I knew that I don't want to dismiss the cradle and I don't want to dismiss the cross and the grave and the ascension because those are, those are tantamount to what we believe. But I couldn't believe that this dash in between this three and a half years, that there wasn't something for us, some meat and potatoes, something functionally that we could grab hold of and apply to our lives. And one of the, one of the evidences that made me believe that was the disciples changing from these, from these zealous Jews then into cowards and then into these great men of God that were willing to follow Jesus obediently unto death. There had to be something functional there, and Jesus gives us that right off the bat. What my, what my mentor Floyd calls the spiritual barometer of our lives, the Beatitudes. At any given moment, what I learned from Floyd and I started to apply in my life, and this is how I gradually over time was able to temper my day-to-day life and live functionally this Christian life, was I, would com- I committed these things to memory and I would, I would dwell on them moment by moment and try to, try to catch myself, where am I at in my walk and and I'll be honest with you, most of the times I'm a knucklehead. I didn't I didn't do that. So so let me show you this this barometer, this functional barometer that we can use. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is kind of like the the first rung, even though this really isn't a ladder that I'm talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How many of you would say that you're poor in spirit? All right, let me rephrase that. Let's do another test. How many of you would say that you're poor in oxygen? Now with that, with that Kansas medical shirt on over there, this is like the test right now, right? <laughs> All right, so let's do, I, I love science, so let's do a little experiment right here to test if we are poor in oxygen. Take a breath, pinch your nose, cover your mouth, and count to 500. (laughs) You find out really quickly that you're poor in oxygen. You need it. You need it to fill your lungs, and then it fills the rest of your body. In the same way, we are poor in the Spirit of God. We need it. We need to breathe Him in. We need the Spirit of God to come into us and permeate every cell in our body. When we come to that point, you see, that's, that's the point that I came to in the summer of 2000. This angry young man that was addicted. I came to this point to where I raised in the church and I look around and I see these trees and I recognize that at one point they didn't even exist. And some being just said, hmm, tree. And here they are. And I'm like, I got to know that guy. I need to know that I need to know this guy. I recognized that I needed whoever did this in such a careful and intimate way. I needed to know that creator. I was poor in spirit and I recognized it. Blessed are those who mourn. Let's take mourning as a word and let's kind of unpack that. We see the situation in front of us and we hate it and we wish that it would change. We wish that that person was back in our arms. We wish the situation was different. You see, when I came to the end of that rope and I saw that I needed the Spirit of God in my life. I then recognized my life's out of control. I don't like it. I wasn't raised to be an addict. I wasn't raised to be that guy. This is not what the Creator that spun these trees into existence in this atmosphere over this rock and and set our universe on this razor-sharp edge. That's not what he intended for my life. None of this. 
and I wanted it to change. I was mourning my life. Blessed are the meek. Now, being an addict, I saw what meekness... Well, actually, I'll I'll just unpack meek here real quick. A lot of times we just take meek and we attribute it to humility. But let me give you humility on steroids. It's It's a brilliant word. Teachable. When you are teachable, you are you are humble to the degree that you are willing to take somebody, somebody's counsel and take it into your life. Now back to what I was saying about being an addict. There are so many times that I would I would be spinning in this whole poor in spirit mourning phase. But I'd get to that part where somebody was willing to speak into my life and invest in me. And I'd throw my hands up at them and I'd be like, I know the steps. I got this. That is not, that's not meek. That's not teachable. And at that moment, you just killed it. we just killed everything. Blessed are the meek. The teachable. Lord, Lord I pray that even at 41, 42, and however many years I'm blessed to be on this earth, that I will continue to be meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I told you earlier, I fed from the wrong trough. I went to Tozer, I went to Piper, I went to uh, MacArthur. I mean, you, you list them. And I, I had all these different conflicting views of God's because everybody's got a different spin. And everybody believes a little bit different here and there and everywhere. And they've got a verse, verse here, verse, verse there, here, verse, there, verse, everywhere, a verse, verse to back up their point of view. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness. When you're, when you're meek, you're teachable, you're ready. Man, I, could, I, I, I devoured those books, but I was feeding at the wrong trough. I wasn't devouring the right source. Those, those guys are great sometimes to accent, accent what's going on here. But man, we're all, we, can all, we can all read. We can all comprehend. Jesus went after uneducated men. Why can't we just go to the trough and the source and, and have him reveal himself to us? I mean, really, that's the Calvary Chapel distinctive right there, isn't it? But I fed from the wrong trough for a long time, and I became very self-righteous, very indignant, ignoring the grace and the mercy that I had been given by God as an addict to be welcomed into this wonderful family of believers. And I was just... It was a power play. It was pride. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness and you go to the right trough and you're feeding from the Word of God and you're sitting at the feet of Jesus meekly, blessed are the merciful. I think that, I think that you all heard a little bit of a taste of that testimony this morning. Some folks coming in here hurting and scared, and you loved them like family. That's mercy. That's mercy. Sometimes there's, there's folks that are out there that, that might even walk through those doors or you might encounter, and the ways that they make their money just might make your stomach turn. Prostitutes, drug dealers. Blessed are the merciful. Love them like their family, an eternal family. Doesn't mean we have to let them off the hook, but we got to act in mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Have any of you all ever done anything and you did it with the express intent of getting something in return? I have. 
I can even tell you that I've done things in the name of Jesus, expecting blessings in return from my Heavenly Father. When we start acting in mercy and we're feeding at the feet of Jesus, all of a sudden we find ourselves doing things that, quite frankly, other Christians might even call us foolish for doing. And it's just out of a pureness of heart because we love people the way Jesus loved people. Nothing in return. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let me, uh, let me substitute a word here just to drive this home a little bit more. Blessed are the disciplers. This is my mentor right here. Because, you know, coming from Missouri, Kansas, you know, Jesse James and Wyatt Earp, you know, peacemaker, you have an image of what a peacemaker is, you know, it's a Colt 45, you know, strap it to your hip. Or we have some, we, we always have some skewed view that we bring into what, what these things are. But my mentor brought me to the feet of Jesus, taught me about the person of Jesus, in such a way that drew me in. And there is a peace in my life that I cannot... I could sit up here and I could fumble for words for 20 minutes and I could not describe to you that peace. Couldn't describe it to you. He's a peacemaker. And every one of us is called to be a peacemaker. In everything, the enemy distorts it, right? Or maybe he gives us a little, little off-the-hook thing. So let me not let you off the hook this morning. I don't know, that, I don't know if you know this or not, because some of you might be thinking in your mind, I, I'm not ready to be a peacemaker. I'm not ready to be a discipler. Well, let me tell you, if you have kids or you have somebody around you, you're already a discipler. You're already a discipler. And when we, when we wonder why our kids act churchy around churchy events, and then they act like animals around their other friends and just, woo! It's because they've learned, how, they've learned that from watching us. They've been discipled in that manner. That stings a little bit. Let me tell you, I'm only saying that to you because I've lived in that sting. God revealed that to me in my life through my children. Gosh darn it, that hurts. That realization really hurts. Because we show up on Sunday mornings and we got our happy little porcelain face on when just five minutes before we were driving down the road with our left hand on our wheel and the right hand between the seats reaching in the back just trying to choke the life out of any one of them that we can get our hands on. And then we get up to the church and the pastor asks us, how you doing today, brother? And we're like, blessed. And our kids are like, what? <laughs> we have just discipled them to be hypocrites. We've just discipled them to be dishonest in life and have two different lives. But we can be peacemakers. And you know what? When you come to the point in your walk with the Lord, and this, ebb, this will ebb and flow. This isn't something where you're like, whew, check that off my list. I made it to the peacemaker level, got my trophy. I am done. I think we just fell back a couple notches at that point. That's why it's a spiritual barometer. It's just like pressure in the atmosphere it just ebbs and flows and changes and the temperature the the temperature will change it and high and low pressure systems will change i mean it just so many variables change it just like life and we're just kind of ambient in this thing just trying to just trying to live and trying to get by 
when we operate in this and we get to that level to where we're, we're creating peace in other people's lives, here's your badge. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And even the next one, on top of that, blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. I wish that I could stand up here and I could rail on our government and say they're taking God out of our society and we're being persecuted and, oh, and ISIS has got cells here and they're going to start shooting us and trying to cut our heads off with a spork and whatnot. But that's not the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about here. Oh, this is, this is much worse and it hurts. This cuts deep because this is right within the body. This is right within those that we would call brothers and sisters. Because what happens when light enters into darkness? It exposes. If this place was pitch dark right now and I tried to make a beeline for the back door, I'd be tripping over chairs and people and this Star Trek thing. (laughs) But because light is pouring in, it exposes what's in this room. In the same way, when somebody starts operating and they're being peacemakers, they start exposing. <laughs> I've been in that place. I did, not, I did not like having those things ex- exposed in my life. And so there's subtle things that we'll do. We'll come up beside them. Man, brother, you're just you're a little zealous. Why don't you, why don't you slow down? Well, I think what the Lord would say is, why don't you get your butt in gear? Or we may have that lunch meeting with the pastor. Spin it just a little bit, skewed. Special meeting with the elders. We might spread some little gossip or rumors to try to to deflate or maybe even run them off. I mean, the list can go on and on and on how we like to persecute. And if you find yourself in that place, let me tell you something. Don't stop. This, brothers and sisters, is our badge of honor. You know, when Jesus says the first will be last and the last shall be first, this is what he's talking about right here. This is is when you know that you are blessed. Sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But is that not what the creator of all the universe did? Is came and dwelled among us in a counterintuitive way? So we got this functional piece right here. What, what's the next thing that Jesus does? He, give, he gives you this little this little spiritual barometer, he's standing on this mountainside talking, and people are like, well, that's cool, but what are, what are, some, of the, what are some of the things that I need to watch out for? Church, we've, mi- we've missed, we've missed the, the roots of some of the problems. Hollywood and TV, mainstream music, they got it figured out. What is the base... What is the base like drive in our society? What sells movies? Well, if I could be a little little crass, I would say boobs and bullets. Or as Jesus would say, anger and lust. You see, society, our society has this figured out and they're cashing in by the billions. And as Don and I, we talked about that. We, we saved the church last night, didn't we, Don? <laughs> and the planet. We righted all the government wrongs as we were walking. We talk about a lot of things a mile wide and an inch deep about Jesus surfacely trying to prove who he is. And we miss the functional, let's put the axe to the root. 
and let's talk about this. And we boil it down and we get it down to, man, I'm, I'm dealing with some anger in my life right now. I'm dealing with some lust. I'm hurting. We don't, we don't get to those points. The, these are the functional things that we need to talk about, that we need to link arms with. We don't need to shoot our wounded. We need to link arms with them. And Jesus goes through these, you have heard it said, and he ups the ante, you shall not murder. But I tell you that if you're even angry with somebody, you've already committed murder. You have heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, if you take that first glance and then do the double take and dwell, you've done it. Then there's even, he, he even has some subcategories under here, under the adultery thing, that deals with not only divorce, but he's like, he's like, if you're going to enter into this thing, don't swear falsely. And then he goes right back to the, you have heard that it says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. These are functional things that we struggle with. And that's why sometimes we just need to get back to the root of things and we, we need to see where is our walk with the Lord in this spiritual barometer. Where, where am I at in this thing functionally? And then we go to this then we move on and we start to say, let me be honest with myself. Where am I? What am I struggling with? Is my yes, yes? Am I no, no? Am I lusting? Am I, am, am I emotionally disconnected from my husband or wife and seeking out those kind of things at the office, the school, wherever? Keep on, keep on trucking here because I want to go to the feeding from the, the wrong trough section. Starts in six. Beware of practicing righteousness. Then when you give to the needy. Then when you pray. Then when you fast. Man, I tell you, God used these things, like even like even this morning for for the music time. I tell you, when it's time to entertain, I'm an entertainer. But when it's music time and it's the Lord's time, I really struggle. I mean, I, I really don't even need the sheet music or anything. But I use that as a as kind of a crux for me to put my head down to try to disappear. I would be better off around the corner, honestly. And the Lord used the Lord used this section right here to break me in that. To make me realize that sometimes I use this little six to eight inch step up standing behind the microphone to be a to be a pride thing in my life. To try to feed my self worth. What's that look like in your life? I'm going to give us one more thing here to think about this morning. Because I want you to, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to kickstart this Matthew deal for you so you can see that it's functional and you can start rolling with it yourself. Because like, like I had to learn long ago, just because my parents were Christians, and they loved the Lord, and they walked out their faith, that did not guarantee me entrance into the kingdom of God. Saying a Harry Potter Patronus prayer does not guarantee us entry into the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, I would even say, who in the world do we think we are? If we think we can just do these things and then expect God to let us in. 
I think there's a humility that we have to do functionally, that we have to step back and say, Lord, I'm giving up the American nightmare. I'm giving up my kingdom, and I'm searching out yours. And that's even laid out right here in the Lord's Prayer. I mean, we all get up. It's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance of Christians. We all get up and we just start reciting it, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's just, it's dull, it's mundane, until you really start to unpack it and see how functional it is in our life. It, it's really, it's a cross between a contract and this, this functional posturing of our day-to-day, moment-by-moment lives. How do I mean? Let's start unpacking it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I just pointed out that trees, at one point in the timeline of history, didn't exist until God just got this creative spark in his mind and he just said, tree. Boom. I don't know how it all happened, how it physically happened or anything, but I know that he spoke and it happened. And these things called trees that never even existed in any shape, way, or form are now very present and we're so comfortable with them, we just take them for granted. That's our God. You know what I'm saying? That is stinking awesome. And that's just one thing that we, we deal with in this physical realm. That name is hallowed in my book. I mean, there's some pretty cool people on this planet, you know. We can name them off. Benjamin Franklin. Abraham Lincoln. Vanilla Ice. There's all kinds of great men in American history. But there's a name that I just, it's not even in the same book as those names. It is hallowed. It is set apart, and you can't touch it. And that's the name of my God. It's the name of our God. That's a pretty interesting place to come to in life. Because when you come to that place, here's one that I really struggle with, especially living in Nashville, Tennessee. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, I'm giving up my rights. I'm giving up this American dream, or as I like to call it, the American nightmare my pursuit of stuff. I am giving up my pursuit of my kingdom on this planet. I'm giving up my dominion and I'm surrendering it to you. What do you want me to do? This is the first step in Jesus' earthly ministry. That's why I pointed out that. Go fast in the desert for 40 days. Just joking, God. <laughs> can, I get a, can I get that second beamer? I want to go back to those ways. Give us this day our daily bread. In America, we really don't know what that means. Being a system administrator slash network engineer, I had no idea. I got this one lump sum payment every month for showing up to the office and doing, and it was a good chunk of money. Man, I love seeing that money. And it came like clockwork. Quarterly bonuses. I didn't want for anything. I had everything I wanted. Then the Lord upended everything. He said, I want you to go chase this music dream that placed on your heart all those years ago. And I want you to do it my way, not the Nashville way. Dang it. (laughs) Dang it. 
As a matter of fact, two years into our ministry, and Don can attest to this, the Lord, ha- the Lord just, just as clearly as I was speaking to some of you earlier and heard your voices, I heard his voice and he said, I don't want you to have a set fee. I don't want you to have a contract. I don't want you to have any of that garbage that they do in the music industry. I want you to go serve whatever churches call you, regardless of size, regardless of anything. I want you to go and serve my body. Okay. And I would be a liar if I were standing up here telling you today that I was not white-knuckling it for that first year, two years. Even the third year, after he miraculously, every month, pays our mortgage. Because at this point, you got to see, you got to understand, this is, this is beautiful. I, I'm giving you a testimony of God's greatness here. I'm not, just, I'm not singing you some sob story so you get your checkbooks out or anything like that. I am giving you a testimony of the goodness of our God that he does what he says. Four years going on five this fall. He has given us our daily bread. And it is better than any one of those seven to $10,000 checks that I got every month. Because it's like manna. It, it's amazing. And it's awesome. Something that I struggled with that hamstrung our marriage and the relationship with probably one of the most beautiful people that I've ever met my wife I could not for the life of me because I was discipled the opposite way get this forgive us our debts as we as also as we also have forgiven our debtors let's jump down to this next paragraph for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you pardon me But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He's tying this together here. Growing up in church, I was never taught how to forgive. As a matter of fact, the church as a whole in America, if you fall from grace, you will never be anything more than what you are in sin. Can you step back and see that? How we treat people that way? When our brothers and sisters fall in sin, and it might be a horrible sin, instead of trying to help that person heal, we hold them down in that mud. One of the famous ones, because it's, as we put price tag on sin in our culture, is adultery. You will never be more than that filthy cheater. And that is a switch that we need to flip in our minds, and we need to cut that out. We've got to cut that out. Let me, let me take all of that that I just read to you in that paragraph and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And let me, let me give you a way to change that prayer just a little bit that keeps it the same way functionally, but it, but it drives it home a little bit more. Father, forgive me today as I've forgiven others. I got to say, when, when God revealed that one to me, that, that was hard. That was hard. Forgive me today the way I give forgiveness to others. No, I don't want that. I want the fullness of grace and forgiveness. But if I've received forgiveness the way that I've been giving it out, man, that's going to (laughs) stink. That's going to stink big time. Because I have been discipled from a young age in the church to be vindictive. And that whole eye for an eye has really set in and soaked in. And we, we hold on to those things. 
This is something that I work on daily. Let's look at one last functional point here. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In our personal lives, it's very hard for us to understand the difference between temptation and sin. The point of temptation is not sin. The choice that we make afterwards is. Jesus was tempted in every way that we were. Scripture says that. Functionally, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. I can only speak for men on these issues that we talk about, anger and lust. Somebody cuts me off. I'm in a 10,000-pound forward excursion. My stopping, my stopping distance is three times what anybody else's is. And this dude in a little stupid car doesn't even give me a blinker. We're barreling down on a stoplight, and he cuts me off, cutting my stopping distance in a third. I'm standing on that truck's brakes praying that the, the re, I'm just praying that I'm not in his front seat. Because 10,000 pounds with that kind of momentum will always win. Anger. Anger rises up in me. Now here's the, here's the thing. The temptation to go on and to dwell on that, to maybe even drive up and bump that guy's bumper, or maybe jerk over into the other lane and wave at him with one finger. I mean, let's be real. Even though we're Christians, we, we do this stuff. And people see it, and they know we're Christians because we got our fish on our bumper sticker while we're doing it. And this is just one example of where we can fall into the temptation of anger. I mean, here's one for you. We're walking through the mall or some store, and there's that lady with the, the yoga pants that are way too revealing in the, the spaghetti strap tank top workout thing that's leaving not much to the imagination. We see her. Now what? Temptation's in our face. Now what? Do we turn away? Do we knowingly turn away, go another direction. We see that we perceive that she's going this way in the store or the mall and we turn and go in some other direction. Or do we do that double take and we, we dwell maybe just a little bit too often. And for you ladies wondering what I'm talking about here, let me fill you in on, on how the guy's minds work and, and why that double take dwell is damaging. <laughs> By design, this whole be fruitful and multiply thing that God put in us, this sex drive, the enemy has, he's, he's taken very good care to manipulate that. And we can fill in the blanks. We can connect the dots. And we can take that image home with us. We can recall it months later. We can create movies in our minds that would make you want to puke. And I know it would make you want to puke because those of us that seek the Lord, that have those still raging in our minds, we want to puke too. And we pray daily that the Lord would take them. Temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I just wanted to give you a look today. I'm not trying to beat you over the head with the Bible. I'm just giving you a look at my life, the things that I struggle with, the things that I'm trying to grow in, and how the book of Matthew is this functional discipleship manual. The early church used it with great success, and we can use it today with great success. 
we're walking in some shallow, shallow waters as the church in the United States. I think it's time for us to stop spiritually breastfeeding and start pulling up to the table and eating some real food. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in everything that we see in this universe and on this planet, that you cared enough to not only come to this planet to dwell among us, to be ridiculed, spit on, flogged, basically to become our sin in this covenant that you've made with each of us individually. That you conquered death, but but that you cared enough. That you cared enough to give us a way to navigate this life the way that you intended it. Father, we pray that whatever work that you're doing in my life, in each one of these people's lives individually, that you would continue to grow that. That you would continue to stretch us, show us through your word and with your Holy Spirit what we can do to draw closer to you and to become what you created us to be, what you intended for us to be. To function and live in the peace that you intended for us to love, live and function in. We love you and we thank you for giving us these tools for dwelling with us with your Holy Spirit. That is so awesome. And sometimes, Father, I will admit that I take that for granted. And I do apologize for that. I do want to pray for our fathers today, Lord. It's tough navigating as it is in this, just as an individual, but the pressures that are put on men in this society. I pray for our fathers, especially today, Father God, that you would, uh, (laughs) you would draw these men closer to you and that you would give them opportunities to lead their families, to lead their children, and to even be salt and light into into their communities, into their workplaces. We love you and we thank you. And we lift up all of this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.